Thank you, Cliff. If you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 13, verses 51 and 52. You might be asking, why not Habakkuk? Um, well, there's a pretty simple explanation for that. I'm not ready to do Habakkuk uh, because I originally was not going to be preaching today after coming back from uh, a week of vacation. Noah, our pastoral intern, was going to preach, and he actually got the flu, which I found out when we got off the boat uh, the other day. So uh, we're, we'll be in Matthew chapter 13, verses 51 and 52, and then pick back up with Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 next week. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 51. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. In 2010, a man named Forrest Finn self-published a poem called The Thrill of the Chase. And as far as poems go, it's frankly uh, not very good. Uh, but the, the more you read it, the longer you go into the poem, the less you care about the meter, about the, the rhyme scheme, about the quality of the poem itself, and the more excited you might get about its content. You see, Finn wrote the poem to act as a riddle, as a map, really, revealing where he had buried a chest full of gold somewhere in the Rocky Mountains. And then in June of 2020... While the rest of us were locked in our houses, just staying inside, not really doing much of anything, someone was able to crack the code of that poem, go to that place in the Rocky Mountains, and found the buried treasure, which was worth around $2 million. Uh, Let me tell you, it was a good thing that I didn't know about this poem or its treasure until after it was found, because I would have done a lot of things to try to figure out where that was. When I was a kid, the idea of buried treasure was one of the most exciting prospects I could possibly think of. It was something that just filled my mind all the time, thinking about buried treasure, buried treasure, buried treasure, pirate stories, and the the possibilities of just being able to go somewhere, dig a hole, find a cool chest filled with gold, and then now I've done it. I've found buried treasure. I wanted to find buried treasure so bad that I would sometimes draw maps and write X's on them thinking that somehow, if I put an X on the map, that would mark the spot where buried treasure was. And unfortunately, that's not how maps work. The the treasure has to already be there, and then you put the X, rather than starting the other way around. But if I would have known where the treasure was, there's very little that nine-year-old Nathan would not have done to find it. But for us in this room today, now, we don't have to search to know where our treasure is. It's right here. It's in this book. It's been revealed to us and spoken to us and written down for us by the God of the universe and just handed to us. And instead of digging a hole, which admittedly as an adult sounds like way less fun than it did when I was a kid. Instead of having to dig a hole, all I have to do is read. All I have to do is listen. All I have to do is obey. You have been given a treasure of great value. So sell all that you have and go buy it. My goal today is actually not to convince you that you've been given treasure in the word of God, which shows you his gospel through that revealed word. My 
goal today is to encourage you to dig for the treasure. To encourage you to see what Christ has said about the treasure that you have. And to show you how Christ says to go about digging for it. You see, in Matthew uh, 13, verses 51 and 52, Christ is coming to the end of a section where he has just riled off several parables in a row about the value of the kingdom of heaven. It's like a treasure hidden in a field. It's like a merchant who finds a pearl of great value. It's like a net which gathers all kinds of fish. And now that he's finished, now that he's come to the end of those parables, one after the other, trying to show his disciples the value of the kingdom of heaven, he asked them this question. Do you understand? Have you understood all these things? They tell him yes in verse 51. Do they know the the nature of his kingdom and its value? Yes, evidently. Well, then, because they have understood him, therefore, he gives two ways to bring out the treasure that is his kingdom. And the first way to bring out the treasure of the kingdom of heaven, as we'll see in this text today, is to do so as a trained scribe. Look at verse 52. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Christ is speaking to his followers, his disciples, those to whom he has just given the preceding parables about the kingdom's worth. They're not scribes by trade. The only ones whose jobs we know about were fishermen, tax collectors, revolutionaries maybe, but there were no Pharisees in the bunch. There were no Sadducees. There were no teachers of the law on the team. None of the the best and the brightest That Christ was talking to. There's even a way that you might be able to read this. And think that Christ is making fun of his apostles. He says have you understood all these things? And they said yes. Well therefore every scribe. Who's been trained for the kingdom of heaven. Is like a master of a house. Who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. He's saying you guys got it? You guys have understood it? Well, just think what I might be able to do, what I might possibly be able to accomplish if I had a teacher of the law on my team. Just think how great our team would be if I had better players to play with. But rather than tearing down his disciples, because they're not scribes, men trained in the law, I think he's actually elevating them. He's dignifying them and their knowledge. He's saying that the dumbest disciple in Christ's kingdom actually knows more than the smartest scribe outside of the kingdom. He's saying, you simple fishermen, you simple tax collectors and zealots, revolutionaries, you guys are the scribes who have been trained for the kingdom of heaven. No one else might see it that way. And yet that's how Christ is dignifying his followers. My grandmother, with zero formal theological training, Simply just 80 years of Christian faithfulness. She understands the Bible better than a PhD in the Old Testament who doesn't believe that the Bible's true. The Bible is clear. It's in our language. We have more resources at our disposal to study and to understand it than any other Christian in all of Christian history. So study. Read. The clear application, what Christ is telling his disciples, the the clearest thing that we might be able to draw from this text today is to study his kingdom, to understand his gospel through his word. 
And this isn't a pitch for all of you to go out and get degrees, for all of you to go out and get a PhD. But it is a pitch for you to study, for you to read, to listen, to obey. When it comes to the Bible, ignorance simply is not an option for the Christian. The clear implication of this truth is that you, his disciple, will grow into that which he has called you. Though the world may look at you and consider you a country bumpkin, a fisherman, a tax collector, Christ calls his disciples scribes, teachers of the law, those held in high esteem for their knowledge, for their great learning and understanding, scribes who have been trained for the kingdom. You are a scholar, you are a teacher, so own it. He gave you a book. Read it. He has revealed himself. So see him inside it. Psalm 111 verse 2, which is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. It's one I meditate and think about all the time. says this. Great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them. You see, those who know the Lord delight in him. And you can't delight in him apart from delighting in his works. If you are a Christian, you are someone who is at least on some level already delighting in the works of the Lord. Greater the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them. All who delight in his great works will study them. So my encouragement to you today is to buy some glasses, plant yourself in a chair, and get to it. His followers are scribes. But more than that, they are scribes who have become disciples. They've been trained for the kingdom of heaven. This can be true. These outcasts can be teachers because of the training that they've received. They've heard from Christ and they've been shown how to hear and understand his parables. They have ears to hear. So Christ is speaking to them about the value of what they've heard about their responsibility in light of that knowledge. They've been trained, discipled in godliness. And in the flow of this verse, it's actually the the scribes who are becoming disciples who have been trained. The CSB brings this out a little bit clearer than the ESV does. And it says, uh, therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven. It's the same word. It's getting at the same idea. It's just trying to trace a progression from being a scribe to elevating to the point where you might be a disciple who has been trained in the kingdom of heaven. A disciple here is placed higher than a scribe, higher than a teacher of the law. So Christ's goal here isn't merely to get his followers to know the truth, but to know it and follow it. He's not turning his disciples into scribes. He's training disciples, which makes them scribes along the way. You will not become a trained disciple without first becoming a scribe. And I think when we think about these kind of things, we tend to miss this point. Because we tend to set the the mind, the heart, and the hands as if they're somehow battling for control in the Christian life. As if some people are just doers. They've got the hands right. Some people are feelers. They've got the heart right. Some people are thinkers. They've got the head right. And while I, I think we can't ignore the simple reality that some people are more prone to some of those things, these verses are talking more like each is kind of a path to the other. 
that when your affections, your heart is awakened, then you become a scribe. You are compelled to study. And that that study actually spurs you on toward being a disciple. Actually able to do what you feel and know. And so often I think we want to skip to the end or try to work the other way backwards. We want to try to tell you what to do. That's, that's our encouragement all the time, right? We, we listen to someone talk for a little bit, and then we say, okay, just tell me what you want me to do. Just tell me what I need to do. How do I respond? If you'll give me the steps, then I'll be able to do it. Don't try to mess with my, my heart or my mind. Just give me the steps. Tell me what to do. But it seems here that in the Christian life, the doing tends to come after the loving. It tends to come after the believing, the thinking. So when we find that we have trouble in the doing, that usually suggests a problem in the thinking, or maybe even in the loving back behind it. I've been accused in the past, and maybe being accused by you right now, today, this morning, in these pews, of my preaching being a little bit too academic. I talk a little too much about ideas or theology. I spend too much time breaking apart the text or what's behind the text, what you need to know before you read the text. My words are too big. My applications are too few. But this is why. It's on purpose. You see, I've got to show you who God is and what he's done that you might love him. I can't tell you what to do. Doing is never going to make you love him. But if I show him to you, I don't think you can help but love him. So my goal is to show you who he is, to to show you what he's done. I've got to tell you what he's like and how all that works together. So that the, the one you love, you now actually know that along with your affections has come knowledge. That the further you get to know, the more you love. You have to love him so that you might be able to know him. And I think when you love him and know him, you're going to have a much easier time deciding what to do, how to do it, than for me to try to come up with a step-by-step for every single person here. That's even actually backwards to the gospel, right? It's been done for us. We respond to it. The, the love that we have already received, the knowledge that we've already been given, we respond into the doing. We don't work into it the other way around. And for his disciples here, what Christ is telling them is that the kingdom of the heaven is the goal, the end of the disciples' training. Christ is saying this about every scribe who has been trained in and for the kingdom of heaven. That the kingdom of heaven for which they have been trained is worth more than all that they have. It's the end of their search for value. It's only for the godly, for those who have become disciples. This kingdom is the purpose of their training, and there is no higher purpose or calling. They're not called for the sake of their own puffed-up knowledge, for their own self-fulfillment. They're called for the king's purposes, the one they serve. Not that they might be the best scribe in all the land, simply to be, but that the greater scribe they become, the greater training they receive, the more they are. For the kingdom of heaven. Christ's followers are scribes who have been trained for the kingdom of heaven. And that makes them, it makes us masters. That's the the, the second way that Christ tells us to find the treasure 
that has been given to us is to bring out the treasure like a master. Every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven in this verse is like a master of a house. That's the second way to bring out the treasure of the kingdom of heaven. Bring it out like a master. Verse 52. And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is old and what is new. This is your house, master. This is your home. It's where you live, where your treasure is. And when you think about that, we have to understand, we have to appreciate what an inheritance it is that we've been given. This house, this treasure, this place, this domain has just been handed to us. It's your inheritance just to be handed to you. To take you and to give you a home that has been filled with treasure. And now you're surrounded by it. Like Scrooge McDuck diving off the balcony into the big pool of gold down at the bottom. You're simply swimming in it. It's everywhere you look. And you belong here. They're your slippers that are by the bed. It's your toothbrush next to the sink. Your training for the kingdom of heaven should feel to you like a nap on the couch after mowing the lawn. It's your home. It's the kingdom for which you have been trained. And not only do you just live there, not only has it just been handed to you, not only is it just your name on the mortgage while the bank allows you to live in the house that they actually own, you are the master of this domain. Doling out the charm, ready with a handshake and an open palm. So own it. Every scribe trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house. Be the master of this house, of this treasure that you have been given through your training. And then bring out the treasure. That's what he says. It doesn't just end there. Every scribe who's been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house, period. It's comma, who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. The treasure in the house is not yours simply to pile up and have. Every scribe is like one who brings out of his treasure from the fullness of the wealth that you have been granted. You are to bring out of that treasure something. So it is a treasure. Yes, that's the the point of the parables which precede this one. He gave the disciples three parables in a row that all have roughly the same point to be able to get it through their heads that what they have been given is of more value than what they could ever imagine. If only they could understand that. So it is a treasure, but not only is it a treasure, it is your treasure. It's yours to have. You didn't find someone else's that now you have to defend. It is yours. He's given it to you. So take hold of it. Not that long ago, maybe a a few years, a distant relative of Destiny's died. It was, uh, I think, like a twice-removed great aunt or something. Uh, And we got a phone call one day. From some random lady we didn't know, we had never heard of, uh, who said that she had left an inheritance to Destiny off of some life insurance policy, where Destiny was one of the beneficiaries. So all we had to do was to give her uh, Destiny's name, date of birth, and social security number, and we would be able to uh, be the beneficiaries of this money. We would receive it. 
So being the wise man that I am, I said, ignore that phone call. Clearly a scam. Why would you ever do that to someone over the phone that you've never met, never heard of? No way are we going to do that. And I patted myself on the back for my great wisdom and avoiding this possibility of having our identity stolen. Uh, We were just too smart for those scammers. Uh, Destiny's family, however, had a uh, sibling or two who responded to that phone call and gave them their name and date of birth and social security number. And then the weirdest thing happened. A few weeks later, they got in the mail this check that had a, a dollar amount on it in their name. I said, that's weird. And then they, the weirdest thing, like even as you keep going, the, they took that check to the bank as if it was like a real check or something and handed it to them. And then the bank gave them real money for that check as if it were real or something. And then they told us about it. And you know what I said then? Honey, I was an idiot. Give that woman your social security number, your date of birth, your name as fast as you possibly can. The inheritance was ours. We simply had to take it. Now, this inheritance wasn't uh, an extravagant amount of money. It was decent uh, enough for, oh, I don't know, let's say roughly a cruise. Um, (laughs) But we took it. We were thankful for it. And we received it. It was ours. And we hadn't done anything to earn it. It had just been handed to us. All we had to do was claim it. However, unlike what we did with Destiny's aunt's inheritance, with God's treasure, we're to bring it out. It's not simply ours that we have, that we keep, that we hold on to. We're to bring out the treasure, to to give away the treasure. When you think about it, Christians should be the most annoying people on the planet. We have a treasure in the kingdom of heaven received through Christ's gospel that is real. That won't be cheapened, that won't be lessened by more and more people receiving it, by more and more people taking part of it. Why aren't we all just street preachers? Why aren't we like carnies outside at every street corner? Step right up, step right up, get your eternal life here. Get your treasure beyond all value here. So don't be stingy with your treasure. Give it away as much, as often, as widely as you possibly can. Bring out the treasure. There are, these are your, your obligations based on what Christ is saying in these verses. He's saying that you should treat your knowledge like treasure and that you should give it to everyone who wants some. So bring it out. While I haven't heard him cite this verse specifically, this, the idea in this verse is the central metaphor behind all of the preaching of John Piper, one of the greatest preachers still alive today, one of my favorites. He likens himself to a gold miner who digs as deeply into the text as he possibly can into the book. He finds the gold, he refines the gold, and then he brings it out And shows it to everyone to be able to see. And that's how we should be with our treasure. We're scribes who have become disciples. We are the masters of this house. We have more treasure than we would know what to do with. So what we should do with it is what Christ has told us. Bring it out. Don't be stingy with your treasure. But give it away. And when you bring it out... 
bring out both the new and the old. Every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. I'm not going to focus uh, this morning on an allegorical interpretation of Christ, uh, where he's speaking here about the the old covenant and the new covenant, the, the, the Old Testament and the New Testament, even though I think that that's part of what he's saying here saying that a teacher of the law, a scribe, Old Covenant, who has become a disciple, who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven, New Covenant, Old Covenant, Old Testament, New Covenant, New Testament, can now bring out of his treasure what is new and what is old. That's in the text. I think that actually might be Christ's more direct meaning here. So allow me to just quickly say that there is treasure for you, the trained disciple, in both the Old and the New Testament. For you to study as a Christian. Hopefully. I'm not going to assume that it's true. But hopefully you have seen that. As we've begun our series through Habakkuk. That you don't have to just read Philippians. Over and over and over again. There's a whole 20. uh, 39 books. Right before you get there. That are also there for you to study. Malachi is just as inspired. And just as profitable as Matthew. And I think that that's there in what Jesus is saying here. But I think another option is to take what he's saying on a more granular level. Seeing that uh, Christ is here speaking to his disciples to say, you should bring out both what is new and what is old for you. Both the new revelations, the, the deeper meanings you continue to find in Scripture, and... The same old truths that you've known before, which you can return to and be sustained by forever. So that dignifies and says that the old truth, that which you received in the beginning, still has value. The same gospel which saves you now also sustains you. Christ crucified and raised on your behalf does not get old. It doesn't lose its luster. His mercies are new every morning. And that old, dependable truth never actually gets old. It may be an old, old story how a Savior came from glory. How he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. But some sweet day we will sing up there in the new heavens and the new earth the song of his victory. We should love to tell that story. It will be our theme in glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. We don't move past or beyond the gospel. We press into it. No matter how old we may get or how old it may feel, it still has value for us. There's still treasure there to be had. But not only does that old truth still have value, but it deserves to be brought out. It's still treasure. Its value actually only increases the longer you have it. The interest is only compounding on the price with which you were bought. So don't move on too fast. Don't move on too often from that old treasure of the gospel. Bring it out of the storeroom. Like the first dollar bill framed up on the wall, it deserves honor. Because without it, there would never have been anything more. 
anything new. But Christ is here affirming that there are new things to learn for his disciples. He doesn't simply say to bring out the old over and over again. He says to also bring out that which is new. You do not only have the old, you also have an ever-increasing new. Higher up and further in, as you travel into his love and into his word, through the study of his word and his gospel. One of the great joys you will find by reading the entire Bible consistently, over and over, year after year, if that's what you do, is that you will always find certain passages which you read and suddenly click for you. Suddenly they're opened before you. Where before your eyes just kind of glazed over them. You read the ink on the paper, but you didn't understand its meaning. Now it's like it has new life. Every year I find that. And I would imagine that that can be true in a lot of ways. For instance, the the first time you read about Melchizedek in Genesis 14, you likely just skipped right over it. Confusing character, no real backstory, pops in, gives a blessing, leaves, keep moving. But once you've read Hebrews 7, where it says that Melchizedek is actually a type of Christ, Genesis 14 now has a lot more meaning. It's a lot more interesting next time you go back and read about this Melchizedek and his priestly order in which Christ follows. I can only assume that every Christmas when Destiny, my wife, reads about John the Baptist doing a flip inside the womb of Elizabeth when Mary arrived, that she has some thoughts that she had never had before J.C. was born. She has some understanding of some meaning there that she didn't have before that day. There's always something more to learn. There's always something more to see in Scripture. No matter how many times we may return to it. Even if you finish the book, it's the one above all others that you should just start back over and pick back up and keep going. But the new and the old here aren't opposing ideas. They aren't teams that we get to form Where these Christians follow the Old Testament. These Christians follow the new. These Christians follow the same old ideas. These Christians are always trying to find new and better ones. Like the church in Corinth. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Christ. Christ doesn't set these as two ends of your knowledge of the gospel. As if they're opposite poles. But he presents them as if they're complementary and interdependent aspects of the truth. The owner of the house brings out what is new and what is old together, both of them at once. And a proper understanding of the new actually requires the knowledge of the old. Just as the old, which continues to be pressed into, actually results and entails the new. There's not a zero sum, one or the other. It is both and. The Old Testament without the new is incomplete. It's truncated. It's pointing to a Messiah who never actually came. On the flip side, though, the new without the old is without context. You're watching the sequel without watching the original. So you can't ignore either one and also bring out the treasure of the whole. If all you ever talk about is the deeper meaning that you found in a particular Greek word through your study, 
But you never mention the cross. You never mention the virgin birth, the perfect life, the sacrificial death, the sin-conquering resurrection, the glorious ascension of Jesus Christ. If those never really factor into your new knowledge, then you are missing it. You're not bringing out all the treasure. And on the flip side, though, if all you know now is what you knew when you believed, that Christ died in your place as the perfect sinless sacrifice, and through repentance and faith, you are a part of his people, his kingdom, waiting for their future resurrection just as he has already received. If that's all you know, then you're not maturing. You're not growing at all. You have to have both. You can't only have that which is old. You've got to be increasingly and ever pointing toward and pushing toward something new for you to know and understand. We serve and love an infinite God. You have not found all that there is to have. But if all you're ever satisfied by is the minutiae, the new, the interesting, the exciting, the thing that maybe no one has found before, you may not only be a heretic, but you've probably also forgotten that which you have already received, the gospel. What Paul presented and said was of utmost importance. The one thing he wanted the church of Corinth to know and understand. So when you begin to bring out of your storeroom the treasure which you have been given, bring out all you've got. Don't hold back. Let's see it. Put the light of Christ and his work on the proper pedestal. Display it for all to see. Don't hide it under a bushel. No, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. And in fact, failing to bring out the treasure may reveal that you are no scribe at all. No disciple at all. Did you see what Christ said? Every trained disciple brings out the treasure. So if you're not bringing anything out of the text, out of your knowledge of the gospel... Or even worse, if you have nothing from which to bring anything out, then you may not be the disciple that you think you are. A childlike faith is enough to save, absolutely. But who's more curious, more thirsty for knowledge than a child? Learn, grow, find the treasure and bring it out. In closing, let me point out that the commands of Christ here imply a subject. By that, I mean when a trained disciple brings out of the storeroom the new and the old of the kingdom, it's assumed that he not only brings out the treasure, but brings the treasure to someone, to something. There is someone who is being shown the treasure of the kingdom. You see, this treasure, truly possessed, truly understood, requires to be shared. You couldn't keep it in even if you tried. So share it. Both the new and the old. Show him and his gospel, his glory to the world. So they might behold his image. And by that beholding be transformed into that same image. Bring out the treasure like a master of the house. Like a trained scribe. Bring it out. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you've done for us, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to read and hear your word with your people. 
Thank you for the treasures that you've given us through your gospel revealed in your word. Through what's been given to us by the person and work of Christ. You've given us a treasure beyond anything we might have been able to understand or imagine on our own. Help us to see it as a treasure. To continue to appreciate that which we have already received while also pressing further and asking for more. Help us to bring out the treasure like the master of the house. Like the one who lives there and is comfortable there. Help us to bring it out as one who's been trained. As one who knows what we believe, knows what we're doing, and also is able to do it. Not just a scribe, but a scribe who's been trained for the kingdom of heaven, a disciple. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.